I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings. And now with their pink bonus series, there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership. That's right, Grace. With the bonus prize money up for grabs, the Pink Bonus Series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing, making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Welcome back to Ladies Who Punt. We are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time. My name is Fiona Blair and with me is my co-host Grace Ramage. Hello Grace, a big episode today. Hello Fee and hello everybody listening into another episode of Ladies Who Punt. Yep, we've got a huge episode today Fee and I'm so excited about this one because... We are all already getting excited for next week in England. It is Royal Ascot and the Royal Meeting. And we know that we've already heard so much about this in itself. The fact that we've got Australian horses running there. You know, you might know someone who's heading over there. Um, There's a lot of fanfare about it. And to get to the bottom of understanding what it's all about, we have asked a very special guest, Lizzie Jelfs, to join us to decode the topic of Royal Ascot. And she's the absolute perfect person to do, Sophie. Yeah, definitely. She is the perfect person to do it. Being uh, from the UK herself and having spent a lot of time at Royal Ascot personally. But Grace, you're actually going to be there in person, aren't you, you lucky thing? You went last year and back again this year, backing up. Yes, backing up. I'm (laughs) so excited. I'm very lucky. It's sort of a bit of a last minute trip. Um, But yeah, heading off on Saturday afternoon and we'll be at the races on day one and also day five, which pretty much covers the Australian participation in the races. Um, So we'll be cheering on all the Aussie contenders. There's no doubt about that. And just so excited to get some English sun on my back, which... No, isn't, it's not always something that you can guarantee, but I think it's already 29 degrees over there. So, wow. yeah, I can't wait, Fee. I absolutely cannot wait. Now, run us through quickly the Australian horses that are heading over. There's been quite a bit of press about them all, but just in case uh, we've missed one, who are the horses that will be representing Australia over there this year? There are four Australian horses that will be running at Royal Ascot. Three of them you might have seen headed over not too long ago. Maybe about two weeks ago, they, they all flew off on the same plane and landed in England together. Those three were Cool and Gadda, Artorius and also Cannonball. These three horses have all settled in uh, well to England, but there's one that has been a little bit forgotten because he's been over in England for quite some time now and he's already had a couple of race starts. And that's the astrologist who we know he's a, a, a group one performed sprinter just like the other three so the fact that he's had a sort of different preparation is really interesting he's not fly in fly out he's already been based over there campaigning through races and even ran second 
at his most recent start only last weekend, Sunday morning Australian time. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that method of traveling a horse works and how it compares to the other three who are all just arriving for their one race a couple of weeks out. But we will certainly be dissecting their chances and hearing from Lizzie uh, to see who she might think may be some of the main dangers because it really is an international uh, contest, much like we might see for um, you know some feature racing throughout the championships up in Sydney or the Melbourne Cup or the Caulfield Cup. We've got a lot of the best of the best from around the world that all come together. So it can often be a very even contest and it'll be tricky to try and find the winner. Yeah, definitely, especially uh, doing form with horses that we're not as familiar with as we are Australian horses. So definitely. it's certainly going to be tricky, especially, you know, different track, different environment. Like I'm excited to talk to Lizzie about how all of these components are going to factor into our our form analysis absolutely fee and lizzie is the perfect special guest because not only has she got the first-hand experience of royal ascot and and having traveled a horse over there in the past but she will actually be hosting the racing.com broadcast for the five days which will actually be in australian time starting pretty late at night so hopefully everybody is (laughs) i know hopefully everybody (laughs) is getting really good sleeps into late into the morning to be able to stay up late at night and join Lizzie and the racing.com team. But um, their coverage will be amazing. And so Lizzie is the perfect person to be able to talk us through the ins and outs of the main races that will be uh, cheering on the Australians, that's for sure. Well, let's get into it and bring Lizzie Jouse into the chat. Well, it's time to welcome our very special guest for this week's episode, Lizzie Jelfs. Lizzie, thank you so much for being a part of our episode to understand Royal Ascot better in preparation for what is going to be a massive week next week. We're so grateful of you coming on our podcast. Oh, you're very welcome, Grace. Um, yeah, looking forward to next week. It's I've, I look. I'm going to be honest. I'd rather be there, <laughs> but the next best thing is to be um, hosting the coverage um, in Melbourne for Racing.com and getting to see all the action. You know when it's happening. So it's an amazing week of racing, as you know. You've you've been before, and um, yeah, hope the listeners can get a little bit of an insight, and maybe they'll be able to go um, in years to come. So, Lizzie, I like have no experience with Ascot, so I'm really excited to pick your brain today. And I've got like one really generic question to start with, just so we can get our bearings. When does the carnival actually start, and and how long is it going for? The carnival starts on Tuesday, so that is the 20th this year, and then it goes all the way through to the Saturday, which um, is the 24th. So it's five days of racing it used to be six races a card um so there were six races on each day but now there is seven races on each day so it's a real palatable sort of race day for people who um are not necessarily you know really hardened racing fans it's a day where it's a bit of an event so there's not only the races that are on the day there's also a lead-in where they have uh, a picnics in the car park and people get together and have a little bit of lunch before the actual meeting starts and then afterwards when everyone's you know sort of had a few drinks there's um singing with the bandstand after the races each and every day so it's a real um social event and it's very much even though there's different enclosures and and different ways you can consume the race day there's still a very much the start of the day, which everyone gets together and at the end of the day where everyone also meets at the bandstand afterwards. 
It's so funny you mentioned those two things, Lizzie, because they were probably, from my experience in, in having been to Royal Ascot last year, the two things that were so different and unlike anything else that you would find um, you know, at an Australian racetrack, the idea of actually having like a pre-planned event before you even step onto the race course in being going to the car parks where you might be attending and a, a picnic that you've been invited to, um, that in itself is really cool. And then the, the bandstand afterwards and all of that fanfare and, you know, all of the Union Jacks that are being um, flown around the flags. And it's just an amazing experience. Is there anywhere else in the world that you've experienced anything like that? Or is it purely British? Yeah, I think it's, it is purely British. I mean, there is, I mean, I have at Flemington, you're able to experience the car parks as well. But I think what um, Royal Ascot, why, why it sets itself apart from any other meeting around the world is well firstly was because of the queen because of her passion and because it's her race course but secondly because there's an element of it brings every different type of um, person to the track they're not necessarily a racing person they might be social fashion um, they might be just people who uh, love horses in general and have different other equestrian pursuits but what stands it apart from everything else and I think that we have that no one else can mimic is the fact that it is so heavily influenced and so heavily attended by all the royals and it's going to be a very different year this year because it's not going to be the queen isn't going to be in attendance even though she didn't go last year she's not you know going to be coming down um you know the straight in the carriage it's going to be the king and it's a new era of royals attending the meeting and that's what makes it so special I think that's what makes it being British you're so patriotic about the event in itself yeah it's gonna be so strange not seeing Queen Elizabeth there this year and having Charles there instead of course Charles has been many times before but for him to be the the main uh, attraction I guess in terms of the royals is going to be very different um now that we've covered sort of the social aspect I wanted to ask you what are the main races in the carnival like what what are the the ones that are really the standout races. There's well, there, there's a few that are the standout races. Uh, on they they sort of go because they're five days. There's usually a feature race each and every day. But day one is probably the the one where it's it's the most exciting. You've got the King Stand, which everyone uh, will be staying up for to watch. You know the Aussies fly the flag, and of course you have the Queen Anne that kicks off proceedings, which is. Um, being won by some absolutely unbelievable horses, horses like Toronado, like Frankel, um, recently was won by Baid and Palace Pier. So those are sort of like the best weight for age horses that have that we have on offer in Europe and have been won by some real stars. Um, you've also got the St. James's Palace and you've got the first two-year-old race as well, which is the Coventry Stakes. So there is so much to look forward to on day one, but you to go through all the other days, the Gold Cup on the Thursday is amazing. Um, that's also time-honoured as far as it's probably the most prestigious race that's on the card. Um, and then you've got the Diamond Jubilee, which has been renamed the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Stakes on the last day, which has been won by some great horses as well. So each and every day there's uh, great racing, but probably day one, the Gold Cup, and then also uh, the last day, 
which is day five are, are the, the best days. But there is a feature group one on each and every day. On Ladies Who Punt, Lizzie, we often talk about um, campaigns and we've got our listeners always thinking about, you know, upcoming carnivals and how the how a racing program might fit together. When we're talking about British racing, um, Royal Ascot five days back to back as a meeting in itself is pretty rare to Australians because, you know, we might think of the Melbourne Cup Carnival, which is four days, you know, separated across a week. We think of the championships up at Randwick Saturday into a following Saturday. Um, But it's different in in England, isn't it? Because even across um, every sort of meeting or or carnival that they have is back-to-back days of racing. Can you just explain, you know, how, let's say, the summer flat racing calendar might work uh, in Britain? Yes, so that's exactly right. It's usually a festival of racing. So you've got um, kicking off the festival of racing, you have the Craven meeting, which held at Newmarket, which is the home of British horse racing. Uh, Then after the Craven meeting, you flow on. And that's usually a lead up into the Guineas meeting. So the Guineas is the 2000. That's one of the classics. There's two classics on that day. There's the 2000 Guineas and the 1000 Guineas for um, for the ladies. So they're two Uh, really big sort of festivals. You then have Chester as well, which is an iconic meeting. That is some of the lead-ups into the Derby. And then, of course, just recently, we've just had the Derby meeting as well, where you have the Oaks on the Friday. You then have um, the, you, sorry, you have the Oaks on the Friday, then you have the Saturday, the Derby, which is which was the Queen's favourite race. She unfortunately never won it, but it was her race that she attended all the time. And, um, yeah, very sort of, you know, that, that's one of the best days as well at Epsom Downs. It's such a, a fascinating course as far as it takes an athlete it takes a horse that's really durable, that can stay, that has got, that is in, extremely tractable. It's, it's a very, very unique track because of the undulations and how tight it turns. And it's just an amazing course and sort of only the best of the best stayers win that race. And some horses, you know, some horses as a three-year-old, it flattens them and they can't go on. So that's the, the, the sort of start of it. And then you flow on into uh, Royal Ascot and that's sort of like the, the pinnacle but then it continues on as well you've got the July meeting as well which has um, a big festival of racing and you've also got the, the end of champions um, champions days at the end of the carnival so it's also almost mimics sort of what we've got here at Royal Ramwick and also what you've got at Flemington it sort of like culminates in that particular day but all of those meetings are sometimes three four days and including the jumps racing as well Cheltenham festival is uh, four days of racing you've got Aintree that's three days of racing so it's a it's all about the festivals it's it's like having a warnable yes. um uh, every few weeks amazing I think that, that we could definitely get used to this in Australia yes. <laughs> I'm not sure our wallets yeah. and our our bodies could cope though potentially <laughs> yeah I mean it's for our racing, it is that was something that I got used to. It's over sort of six weeks in the one venue. So we've just come back from Queensland and you've got that six weeks of racing there. And then prior to that, we had sort of six weeks or probably 10 weeks of racing in Sydney and, you know, mixed in with Melbourne had their sort of five weeks, you know, their festival of racing. So it 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 is not a case of... Um, I think they do it really well, personally. You know, it's great for everyone to run their horses in that one particular spot. But because England's a lot smaller, it's easier for people to travel to all those meetings. Whereas here, we have to race, you know, they, they're they not travelling nine hours to no. go to the race, I can assure you. 
Yeah, that's so interesting, Lizzie, how you talk about Epsom being such a unique track. We've heard, uh, I've heard about that in the past, that's for sure. What about the Ascot track itself? Um, because something that's, again, a little bit different for Australians to comprehend is these mile straights and even further that we seem to see. You know, we see 1600 metre races run in a straight line. And it's not just a regular straight track, is it? Tell us what we can expect when we're playing at Royal Ascot. Yeah, so there's uh, the round course and the straight course. And, of course, the straight course, you still have races um, usually on, on the, at the straight at Flemington, it's 1,200 metres, but at the straight at Ascot, it's a mile plus. So you have this unbelievable sort of um, straight race that gives you sort of every opportunity for your horse to not have any bad luck, in my opinion. They do often, you know, it, it's all dependent on weather as well with the, with the straight course, you know, and, and not even the round course. Like it doesn't take an awful lot of uh, rain, Ascot. Um, of course, the round course, you can start on the straight course and then, you know, zip onto the round course Um and that sort of comes up with your distance. The longest race is a 4,000 metre race, so your um, which is the Gold Cup. So you're you're dealing with a very a varying um, sort of uh, track. I always I look at Ascot and I often think, you know, to myself when I'm watching races, the hardest thing is doing the form for the big handicaps which are the big straight handicaps and they're, you know, they have 30 runners and you're trying to do the form with these, you know, third, I think the hardest is actually doing the form on each horse. So imagine 30 runners in a field, you know, we do the form on a strad break handicap instance, that has just run last weekend. And for us, the most important is figuring out which horse is going well enough. Plus on top of that, which horse is going to get the best run in transit and what's the speed going to be like in the race. And I feel like in these big mile handicaps, you've got to do form on everywhere, you know, from Pontefract to Beverly to Salisbury to Royal, you know, to Ascot. Newbury, there's all these different venues and you've got to do the you know figure out how that speed map is going to you know eventually or have some sort of an idea but in saying that they do get their chance you know often often because there's so much of the track to use they do often get their chance so it is it is a really interesting I mean you just have to, if you want to watch a race that I found, you know, fascinating. If you go back to last year's Gold Cup and Frankie Dottori was on the short price favourite on Stradivarius and he, all he needed to do, I think, was get clear running for him to potentially, you know, fight out the finish. And unfortunately, he missed the boat. He was riding, you know, this wonderful horse, a little bit cute, and he wasn't able to get the right run in transit. And anyway, he got a, a lot of bad backlash from it. But... You would think over 4,000 metres that you would end up getting a clear run, but there you go. So it's, it's, it's great racing. It's, you know, it, you have the same uh, tough times when you're punting there as when you're punting here. But once you get a winner, it's, it is healthily rewarded because of those big fields. Yeah, we often talk about form and, and when we're discussing certain races, Lizzie, if we don't have that crystal clear clarity, it can be a lottery race. And I tell you what, I bet those 30 horse handicaps down the mile straight at Ascot are lottery races. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I often, um, 
last year I had a, I had a nice win and I remember the only reason I had a nice win because I saw James McDonald on a horse and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go with him. He's in red hot form at the moment and I like that horse. He's lovely grey. He looked good in the yard. Yes. Yeah. So that was, that's how, that's how I went. So very strategic. <laughs> I'm glad it's um, not just uh, like I'm glad that you do that sometimes too Lizzie it's not just uh, the general public (laughs) yeah absolutely whatever works I think important you know I think when you know the the form it's very hard for you to be like that you know but let's you have to be realistic Um, you know form to do form in in my jurisdiction which is predominantly Sydney is hard enough but to be able to branch out into you know international and know it in depth like know the form here is really tough so uh, I know a lot of people who who watch British racing and they stay up late at night and they watch all the replays and they correlate their own form and they've done very well from it because they don't have a like here they don't have the access to the times and the data that we have access to um, because of the varying conditions so it's it's um it's fascinating it's a whole can of worms there that could be opened up so yeah (laughs) If you're nocturnal, then do your best. You might be able to make some money there. (laughs) I love it. Well, Lizzie, that's a great uh, insight into, you know, what is Royal Royal Ascot itself. Let's now delve into talking about some of these Australian horses that are making or have made their way over there because obviously Aussies going over to Royal Ascot is nothing new. It's been done many times in the past and many times very successfully. We only have to look back to last year when we saw Nature Strip absolutely destroy them in the King Stand Stakes on the first day of the carnival. So let's talk about these four horses. We've got Starting with the first day and in the King Stand Stakes, the 1,000-metre speedsters dash. We've got Coolan Gadda, who we know has got a great affinity with the Flemington straight course, and she's a real 1,000-metre specialist. And then Peter and Paul Snowden's horse, Cannonball, who also is electric over that sort of, um, you know, real speed trip. What do you make of both of these horses' chances heading over to Royal Ascot? Uh, it's an interesting... Um interesting year because with nature strip going last year he was you know he has arguably been our best sprinter for over four years now five years he's been you know the top of the town for a long time whereas cool and Gata is a different profile she's a mare she's um she is a horse that is amazing over the thousand meters but i wouldn't say she's the strongest over you know much further so she's going to have to put up, I think, her best performance to win the race. And then there was that jump out as well where she looked a little bit lackluster and they said maybe we won't send her. But in her favour, she has this unbelievable record of Lightning Stakes winners who have gone on to win at the Royal Meeting and win the King's Stand. And there's six of them. So that's quite incredible that they've been able to do that. So I think with her, she's... It's the King Stand, in my opinion, is a lot stronger um, than it has been. It's a lot stronger than the Diamond Jubilee, the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Stakes, I should say. It's a lot stronger. That that I think is a very open race. So I think she's got a terrific chance. Cannonball is definitely not as classy as her, but he's a very tough horse. He's uh, seemingly looked as though he trialed really nicely. Uh, all reports that you know they've headed over there and they've both settled in well. So I think that he's probably 
you know, he doesn't have the class, but he's certainly got the a few favors in his in his um you know in his name. But if they were running, you know, in a lightning stakes together, we know what prices each of them would be. So, and um, she would probably win again and again because she was so dynamic, and she did take the scalp of Nature Strip, who's arguably not going as well as he has been. But I think even if he wasn't going as well as he has been, he probably still would win this year's edition. So, um. Look, she looks hard to beat, and I'd I'd really be so happy for um, not not so much Kieran, but Dave. I mean, I think how wonderful for Dave to go back home and and train a Group One winner, and you know he's been so successful over here joining up with Kieran, and I think it would be such a for any trainer it'd be amazing. But you know, especially when you're born and bred in in the UK and you, all your family are there, and I think that that would be such a, um, I reckon that would be up there with his Melbourne Cup win. Yeah, that's, that would be so exciting for him. Uh, Lizzie, Grace and I were chatting earlier about how Cool uh, and Gatter and Cannonball are having quite a different uh, intro into their race compared to the astrologist who's been over there for a little while now and up and running. How much do you, difference do you think that's going to make to his chances during Ascot? I think that um, what's proven it's proven that it's a very good method to just, you know, bring them a couple of weeks before and have them settle in and then race. And it's a proven method. Uh, What the astrologist is doing is something that hasn't been done into uh, the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Stakes. We have seen horses stay over there after they've run at Ascot and race successfully. Hortensia was one of them. She ran at Royal Ascot and then she raced, um, I think by memory, she won at York afterwards so yeah it's it's a different way of doing it but the astrologist is not as a he's not a classy horse but I feel like they're doing the best thing that they could possibly do for him um you know he ran it in Dubai he was beaten then they brought him to England he had his first at run where he was beaten in a field by Highfield Princess the Highfield Princess ran really well she didn't win but they Ryan Moore said he needed the run and so they've given him another run. So they've, they've given him an, a very Australian preparation into his run, which is obviously what he clearly needs because he's quite a big, gross horse. For me, I think the best chance of the Aussies is Artorias. So Artorias! Yeah, I think he's the best <laughs> chance for them. I think he he they've learned the key to him. They need to ride him a bit more positively. Uh, James McDonald is a great booking. James understands him knows him well um his win in the canterbury stakes was brilliant and not only that he backed it up with another you know really good good run i actually had him you know i thought he could potentially beat animo uh his next run um he didn't but he still ran ran super i think the biggest key and what james will be thinking is i need to have him close but I need to find that right time to push the button. And he absolutely has the class and has the ability to win. He only needs to improve 0.9 lengths on his performance in this race last year. So he's already been that. He's already done the travel. It's not new to him. He's already been to Newmarket and Abington Place where the, the horses stay over there. Like the whole the whole thing, he literally did this trip last year. So to have that under his belt, the fact that we think he's going better than he was last year, James McDonald in the saddle, they've worked out the key to him. I totally agree with you, Lizzie. I think he's going to be very hard to beat in the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Stakes on the final day of the meeting. 
Did you also say earlier, Lizzie, that you think that actually just the whole race, the way that race is taking shape on paper appears to be not as strong as the race that Coolangatta and Cannonball are in? Yeah, that's right. I don't think it's as strong at all. I think it's definitely um, it's it's a bit of a lacklustre year and, and just listening to reports out of um, the UK, they're saying the same thing. It's it's a very winnable race for any internationals. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a good race. And that's probably why the astrologist is heading that way as well. I'd say, you know, it's a, a race that um, he can, you know, he, I don't think he can beat um, Artorias, but he can definitely run really well. So, you know, and that, that's what I think most people want when their horses run there. Sometimes you're not going to win, but if you're enjoying yourself and all the owners there, um, you know, get to go to Royal Ascot. Mm. I mean, wow, I'd be, I'd be um, you know, buying a ticket to that, <laughs> that party for sure. Is there one horse, Lizzie, that is sort of jumping out at you, you know, with the preparation that you've done, obviously being on the broadcast for the, for the five nights, um, is there one horse that you're really excited to see you think is going to win whatever race that they're heading towards? Uh, I'm probably the 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 most excited to see the Australians perform. I always find it, you know, so fascinating. Um, again, it's a very open Gold Cup this year as well, so I feel like there's going to be some horses that are really emerging as stayers. You've got no no Stradivarius this year, no Kiprios this year. You've got a very open, um, yeah, an, a really open meeting, uh, and it's sort of there for the taking as well. I, you know, there's there's a. I always like following the jockeys as well. I, I like to see who becomes leading jockey. I'm you know huge Ryan Moore fan. I, he's just amazing. But I think James McDonald, if he gets you know a really good decent book of rides, he's he could ride a good few winners. And then you've got Ashin as well, who's um, you know he's back at his at the royal meeting. And then the trainers. I mean, it's been very much Aidan O'Brien, um, you know, dominated, but. John and Thady Gosden. Um, you've also got Andrew Balding as well, who's who's got uh, plenty. Charlie uh, Appleby, and then uh, you know someone who's I've I've got a you know some good friends over there, but um, Sir Michael Stout is one of them, and I'd love to see him, you know, uh, win a few more races. I mean, he's won a lot, but he's certainly he's like the um, he's you know he's a champion trainer and just an absolutely wonderful person, and uh, he's. You know, he's got some great horses that are going to the meeting and just looking forward to the whole spectacle. Probably be, you know, I'll be very jet-lagged and I wouldn't have left Melbourne. Oh, <laughs> what time no. does the broadcast actually start, Lizzie? What are your What are your hours this week? Uh, I think it's about 10 o'clock till 3am oh or something. Gosh. <laughs> five yeah. nights in a row. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that is killer. Yeah, it will be. But I think when you're watching something you love very much, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll be putting the toothpicks in BZ's eyes to keep <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the process of getting these horses over there, Lizzie. And it's great because you can tell us firsthand. You've done it before. You travelled a horse by the name of Nakoni over to England to race. Obviously, it's hard enough with us Australians having to get on a plane and go 24 hours to the other side of the world. But what is it like for horses? Can you tell us about the process of traveling? You know, what what is the travel like in itself? What are the quarantine restrictions? How do the horses cope with that craziness in itself of getting to the other side of the world? Yeah, it's amazing to think that we, you know, um, export and import horses uh, around the world and especially to, you know, we're taking these athletes all the way. You know, it's 50 hours door to door. So it's... um. 
yeah, it's a long, it's a, it's a long trip. Um, I actually uh, called um, Lachlan Ford at IRT and I just um, checked in and I said, oh, what was the, what was the actual route that these horses went on? And he told me the route and um, it's the same route that I traveled with Nakoni and you, um, take off from Melbourne say from Tullamarine and the process is you it's pretty much normal up until they travel and then you're you're loading them um, onto a, a horse box they take them to the airport they are then you know checked to make sure that's the right horse and then they're loaded into a, what we call a crate um, and it's almost a crate is uh sort of mimics a horse box so it's about a bay and a half so it's a horse and a half room and they have, at the time, they have a metal bar on the front and they're, they're sort of quite enclosed as they're travelling into the plane. So Kulangata travelled with a mare called Statement for, who raced um, <clears throat> up in Sydney and she didn't, she didn't race very well, but she, she's going back to Ireland, I believe. So she travelled um, with Kulangata and then Cannibal and Artorias uh, travelled together in the same box um, uh, so they basically load them into a box. One of, you know, the luggage bug buggies wheels you out onto the runway and you go, you get, then the, the crate gets pushed into what is a, a scissor lift and there's all, you know, sort of little uh, round balls on the end of it. So these, you've got probably like two tons of horse, you know, and crate being sort of pushed along, which they're used to doing. They travel a lot of crate and then what happens, it's a scissor lift and it lifts you up. And then you get pushed onto the plane and then you're pushed either to whichever section. So Artorias and Cannibal would be at the front of the plane and then there'd be a bit of cargo and then there would be the girls that would be at the back so they're not too close to each other. And then once you get in the plane, that's once you're up in the air, that's when you're able to take the front parts down because the most important part when you've got a horse travelling for 50 hours is you need to get their head down so that they're able to dispel any of their you know, discharge and that's how horses keep themselves healthy is when they have their head down grazing all the time. So you try and take the bar down, let them have their hay on the floor, make sure they're really hydrated. And the first stop is Singapore. So that's about eight hours to Singapore and you're just on the runway and cargo coming off, cargo going back on, your horse stays on there. That's a, a moment where it can get a little bit you know, a little bit harder for them because they open the doors and you've got that really big, you know, a lot of humidity. But there's a vet on board and there's also an a, a, um, international travelling groom as well who's done that trip time and time again, along with the regular grooms. So um, Kiramar had Anna Weatherlake and then you had, um, with Cannibal, you had Taboot Kusin and uh, Dave Croft with, with, was with Artorias. Uh, and over in the UK at the moment, you've got Dom Sutton with Astrologist. So those guys are just having, you know, they're, they're there to look after the horse, but they're also having the most wonderful sort of experience and exposure. You're usually in Singapore for a couple of hours um, while they sort of, you know, jiggle around the crate. And then you fly to the Middle East, you stop in Sharjah, which is um, essentially Dubai. Um, that's also another big cargo area. And again, there's a bit of cargo refueling. And after that, you head on to Heathrow. And yeah, you land in Heathrow. It's quite amazing. I just, I always, even now thinking about it, it's quite amazing that like you land in Heathrow with this horse uh, from the other side of the world <laughs> to race at 
royal meeting. Um, yeah, it's 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 mind blowing, but it it happens. It, it's never lost on me. It happens all the time, and um, yeah, then that's when they go to their different areas. So uh, I know that Cool and Gadda went to Lambourne, and she was able to you know go there, and then obviously um, you had Cannibal and uh, Artorias headed to Newmarket, and the main part now is for them to get into a, into a routine. You take their temperatures a lot to make sure that they haven't had any. Um, travel sickness you want to keep them really hydrated you want to get their heads down as much as possible and you sort of give them a day and then you ease them back into a bit of work so that you know there's all these th- all these other reasons that you want to um, have them working so they don't build up too much lactic acid they're also you know it's it's like every athlete you want to stretch your legs you want to make sure that your muscles are you know really sort of uh, relaxed and and supple because you need to be at your best in two weeks time to um, you know take on the rest of the world yeah they're not going over there for a holiday to no. get their heels up and lie <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, sun exactly yeah they're, they're going the over there to be prime off a plane we've got to yes. <laughs> oh. on a sun lounger <laughs> And Lizzie, oh, during the dear. flight, where where were you sitting? Like, where do the grooms sit? Are, are there obviously there's chairs that you put your seatbelt on, but are you near the horses or are you further? Up you're the usually plane? upstairs, so there's a. Okay. Uh, you're usually in sort of a jumbo, and then about uh, there's you, they have a few people flying the plane as well, so they have three pilots, and you make your own food, and yeah, you 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 learn. Um, you, kick back and relax and yeah there's no wi-fi or anything like that. Yeah, no. i mean there might be now i wouldn't no know. movies yeah no movies <laughs> I mean, look i can tell you a lot more to do now than there was when i was five um i think like you know i had a little nokia the first time i went to- <laughs> um, and yeah definitely not much to do and i think i cooked everyone dinner in the little ovens that you've got and yeah it's it's just a and you're going on the horses all the time to make sure they're okay and it's a it's a wonderful experience and you can't it's you see behind you know you don't only just see behind sort of traveling with horses you see behind what it's like to you know be within that airline crew and you know the cargo and what happens behind the scenes in airports as well so it's amazing life experiences that you can yeah Well, Lizzie, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast and telling us everything that you have been able to, you know, provide insight into the ins and outs of what is Royal Ascot. And we can't wait to watch the, we can't wait to watch all the horses compete, but we also can't wait to watch yourself and the racing.com team each and every night, 10 o'clock until 3am. Everybody listening to this, everybody (laughs) listening to the podcast, there is no excuse. You will be awake with a lot of caffeine watching Lizzie. (laughs) Yeah, look, you've definitely been awake at least for day one and the last day, okay? That's that's a, a non-negotiable. We have got so much, um, you know, excitement. And the other thing I didn't say that I, oh, my goodness, that I need to say before I go is it is Frankie Dottori's last Royal Alaska. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, that's probably as iconic as the Queen. You know, next year is going to be even more different not having him and her there. So, yeah, if he wins for new races on the first day and the second day, you guys have got to get, you've got to stay up and watch. Um, you know, he is the master and he will be on show and be a complete showman. And I, I reckon he will be the story of the meeting. Yeah, absolutely agree. Go well, Lizzie. And thank you so much for being a part of Ladies Who Punt. No, th- thanks so much. Aww. 
Grace, that was such a fascinating chat with Lizzie, not only having her give us the overview of Ascot and her thoughts on the Australian runners over there, but the chat about the travel was so interesting. I really enjoyed that. And I also liked that she threw out lots of names for us in terms of jockeys and trainers to look out for, because I feel like that's going to be, you know, a big help to to those of us who aren't familiar with the, the, the UK racing scene. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got to remember that this is the number one time for them, for the participants, the trainers and the jockeys and the owners to claim bragging rights by winning, you know, any of the races, if not a couple of races, especially for those bigger trainers that Lizzie mentioned. Um, It is the number one time to shine, much like our big carnivals here in Australia as well. So um, I think we've learned so much on this episode. Lizzie was absolutely amazing. I feel like we could do another three episodes trying to understand British <laughs> racing. Maybe that's something in the future, Fee, yeah. when obviously the when it comes to um, European racing and, and the way that the calendar works, in summer is flat racing time. From halfway through spring all the way through summer is their flat racing time. Through the winter, so autumn into winter, is all about jumps racing in the UK and in Ireland. So, um, so the the racing calendar that Lizzie sort of pointed out is only through, you know, four months of the year. Um, and that's what also makes it really interesting in itself because you've just got one big group of horses that are all there to compete against each other to claim glory in a pretty short period of time. Um, so we're going to get the one of the biggest jewels in the crown for Royal Ascot and then there's more to come after that as well. So hopefully when we follow some of the winners, be it horses, jockeys, trainers, um, we can even follow them on for the rest of the British Summer Racing Carnival. Yeah, there's definitely a few episodes in the UK and European racing season for sure. I feel like we could do one of our roadmap episodes, you know, especially like with the like of very elegant running in France. Like it would be great to know more about that, <clears throat> to know more about how all of that works. But Grace, for now, we have to say goodbye to you because you're going on holiday this week. You're leaving me here all by myself. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know, Fee. And I'm going away for a couple of weeks as well because after all, I mean, last more while, than we're a having... couple of weeks. <laughs> well, just a couple of weeks. We're having a bit of a holiday, which we're so excited very about. Well de- um, very well deserved and earned yes, this holiday. Yes, absolutely. So we're heading over to um, to Ireland for a few days and heading over to Italy for a week and a half coming back to Newmarket where we, we heard Lizzie talking about Newmarket which is where Cannonball and Artorias and the astrologist are currently based where they're for the July Cup meeting which is the next stepping stone in that summer racing calendar for uh, these UK horses they go to, to Newmarket for the July Cup three-day festival so I'll be there for that and also a horse sale that's on there at that time and then coming home through Bali because why not Fee why not yeah, escape the winter as long as you can. And I'm going to do my best. I'm not making any promises to the listeners, but I will be doing my best to line up a few interviews, have a bit of an interview series while you're away because, um, yeah, it's going to be a, a little while till we're back in the studio together and we want to keep everyone entertained and keep ladies who punt at the uh, in people's ears. So, yeah, not making any promises, guys. I'm working on it, but I will try to make sure I have an a interview for you each and every week while Grace is away. And for those who want to know more about Ascot, you should also sign up for our newsletter. 
that we started a couple of weeks ago because we take a deep dive into a different topic of racing each and every week and this week it's all about the history of Royal Ascot so it's sort of a a really nice social deep dive. Last week's was very uh, nitty gritty numbers and Mm -hmm. weights and stuff this one's going to be a bit more fun and colourful I think. Yep we cover all aspects on Ladies Who Punt we get everything (laughs) we get to the we get to the bottom of everything fee there's no doubt about that. That's for sure. Well, Grace, you have a lovely holiday. We will be chatting to you very soon. And if you can send us any content for the newsletter, you know, no pressure. I know you're on holiday, but the odd (laughs) outfit or, you know, holiday snap, send it through. We'll put it in the newsletter. I'll be bombarding you with photos. So don't you worry about that, everybody. Perfect. (laughs) Well, I'll be catching you next week with the first of my interview series. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.